really, 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 really like Jesus. But if you are honest with yourself, you don't really want to become like him. You admire his humility. We all do. But do you really want to be that humble? I mean, you think it's beautiful. I think we all think it's beautiful that the Son of God would get down on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples. We think that's beautiful, but is that really the goal of your life? And is your life headed in that direction of servanthood? You're thankful that Jesus was spit on and abused and that he took it, but you would never let that happen to you. You love the fact that he laid down his rights, but you're going to spend your life fighting for yours and defending yours. You praise him, you sing songs, and you love him because he loved you enough to suffer during his whole time on this earth for your sake. But you're going to make sure you have fun while you're down here and that you have a good time. In short, you think Jesus is a great savior, but he's not a great role model. And I say that because a lot of times I'll, I'll give messages and, I, and it's about the character of Jesus Christ and the way we ought to follow that character. And, I, and it's meant with this, hey, no, I can have this, I can have that. And I just got to stop and say, wait a second, is Jesus Christ your role model? Think this through. Is it the desire of your heart that you would be this servant and lay down your life for someone else? The crazy thing about all of this is that 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Let me read it again. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. It's not, it's not an optional thing. It's not this optional thing, well, maybe I can be a Christian and admire everything about Jesus, but my life will look nothing like his. No, John says, no, whoever claims to live in him, whoever claims to have Jesus in him, must walk as Jesus did. This morning I asked this question to you guys. If loving God is a crime, could you be convicted? See, although this day we talk about love, Valentine's Day, and love, and a lot of times it has to do with, with romance. It has to do with uh, that feeling we get. But I don't want us to be confused. They are not synonymous. When we talk about love and we talk about romance, they are not the same thing. Romance can be defined as an intense, often short-lived attraction a fascination, or even an enthusiasm for something or someone. Usually this romantic attraction is based on some outside quality that is mysterious or fascinating, like something that appears adventurous or heroic or unusually beautiful. This type of romance is temporary and rooted in fantasy a lot of times, and it never grows past the level of infatuation. If, we, if, our, if our love was based just solely on romance, our relationships would never have a chance. It would be superficial at its best. Your love has to be more than a greeting card. Your love has to be more than a feeling. Your love has to be more than a mechanical action. See, Jesus' love was not passive or romantic. His, his response was different. He said his love 
has life-changing character, altering power. It was, it was beyond what we could, what we could, what we could think of in the, in the natural. Remember the song, Love Will Keep Us Together? Some of us that are older will remember that. The Campton and Tennille. They didn't stay together forever. They split. After 34 years of marriage. So what does this love look like? It means loving God. It means loving others. And it means also loving ourselves. The reason I include this in here, because I believe that sometimes what happens is if we, if we truly don't like ourselves, it's hard for us to love others. If we truly don't like ourselves, it's hard for us to truly love God. This morning, I deliberately left our worship service to the end because I want to give you the opportunity at the end of this service to be able to worship the Lord, to be able to love on God. To be able to love on Jesus just for a moment. I want us to, at the very end today is for you to be able to give back something to Jesus. See, a lot of times we come here because we want to receive something. But what truly what he's wanting, he says, what have you brought me today? What are you bringing him? What does your love look like? So Luke chapter 14 verse 26 says, If anyone does not hate father and mother, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. See, there's... I used this scripture just a couple weeks ago, and I talked about this, and I said, you know, there's the denying of ourselves. So, Greg, let me understand this. You're saying, in one breath, we have to deny ourselves, and on the next breath, you said, you want me to love myself. What are you, what's going on here? The, the thing is, is there's, there's two things going on. This is the tension that's, that's, that's going on, is that God wants us to love ourselves rightly, and if we do that, then we'll be able to love on a broader sense. We'll be able to love those around us. There are two different applications of loving ourselves. One is right, while the other one is wrong. We should love ourselves in the grace of God. Loving God in the grace of God will empower our lives and transform our lives. Loving according to the flesh is destructive. It destroys. But loving ourselves in God's grace empowers and transforms our lives. We are, see, we see God working in these realms of, of contradiction constantly. He says, you know, you have to deny yourself But we have to love ourselves. He says, to be saved, all you have to do is believe. And then he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There is this constant, this constant battle, this constant tension that is going on between what God tells us to do and how, you know why he did that? It's because he wanted to see if we would truly push in. See, he wasn't looking for a superficial love. He was looking for us to to go beyond that. That's why there's that, there's that tension going on because he wants us to believe. He wants us to confess. And yes, Jesus will save us. But then he says, listen, now I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's this tension going on even in the matter of love. We cannot understand it unless the spirit gives us the direction. Those without the spirit of God will be blinded. Those who love themselves according to the, the, the love themselves according to the flesh will be preoccupied with self. The evidence of loving according to the flesh is discontentment. Philippians four eleven talks about that. It says, "I've learned what it, in ever state or whatever circumstance I've, I'm in to be content, to be satisfied." To be satisfied with the fullness of God. That's what he's telling us to do. He's saying, listen, be satisfied with who I am. I am am more than enough. 
Be satisfied. Be content. That's what Paul was saying here. He said, listen, I've learned this. It wasn't something you didn't just drop a wand on top of me and all of a sudden it happened. He says, I've learned this through life. I've learned this through these battles. I've learned this through these situations. I've learned these things through going to the hospital and spending days there. C.S. Lewis said this about humility. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. See, but today in our culture, preachers have, and ministers have had to adopt the philosophy of psychology. Which is, let's, let's fix you. Let's fix yourself. Let's do all these things. And what Jesus told us is, deny ourselves. See, they're kind of in direct contradiction to one another. Those who love themselves according to the Spirit rarely think about themselves. Their focus is on the Lord. Their focus is on what God, what's important to God. Scripture says love is more than just a feeling or even an action. It is an, a lifetime of actions. It is complete unselfishness toward one another. John 5, 15, 13 says this. Greater love hath no one than this. Than to lay down his life for his friends. See the idea of giving ourselves away. Giving this life away. Giving these things that we have fought so hard for. Giving these things away, it doesn't really go in, into, into alignment with our lives. But if you look at John the Baptist's life, his life was one of giving it away. He only lived to about 32 or 33 years old. His life was a constant pouring out, and he, all he thought about, same thing with Jesus. See, most of us, most of us have already lived double the, the time that Jesus was on this earth. Most of us have lived double the time that John the Baptist was on the earth, yet we have not affected the world to the degree that these men did in such a short time. Giving ourselves away, forsaking ourselves for, this, for, this, for, the, for the sake of others. Isaiah 49.4 says this, The men of the day would say this about Jesus. I have spent my strength for nothing at all, yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is in, in, with my God. He said this, I have labored in vain. This is what they're going to say about Jesus' life. It was of, it, it was of no consequence. It, it, was, it seemed vain with the things that he did. It seemed empty. It seemed, and, and God was saying, listen, what you, what you put in God's hands, that's the reward that's true. See, what the difference is, is where will we stand with this? True love in Christ is not a Valentine card. It is, it is manly. It is manly love. It is the heart of a warrior, a selfless, sacrificial, and sanctified, relentless, resolved, and resilient, powerful, purposeful, and perfect, tried, true, and trustworthy. That's the kind of love that God wants us to have for one another and for him. I use that triangle at the beginning because I believe that if, if, if he is at the pinnacle, but the triangle is only completed when, we, see, if I love God, which is much easier, it's a lot easier to love God than it is to love others, isn't it? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. It's tough to love each other sometimes. It's tough to get along with one another. So we can't just focus on the top part and then the rest of the triangle, which, which really holds it together, is truly loving ourselves the way God wants us to and truly loving others the way he wants us to. Otherwise, the relationship at top gets all out of kelter. 
In the Song of Solomon, it's often quoted many times with, with romantics. It demonstrates this parallel between the love of Christ for the church and the deep abiding love for a husband for his bride. Every passage attests to the deep and abiding love between the lover and the beloved. The two are so consumed with one another that that's all they can think about. Each day, they can't wait to be together. Being apart, being apart terrifies them. Being together excites them. All they can t- anticipate is that reunion together. But see, God wants us through his word. He wants to show us that it's more than just a feeling. The word love is a verb. means that it's an action word. Those remember the Saturday morning cartoons. Remember they tell you about nouns and verbs. And Verb is an action word. And love is an action word. Love has to be put in action before it truly can be ignited. Eliminate everything in competition with Christ. Matthew 6.24 says you can't serve two masters. Our passion for Christ should exceed all the other areas of our life. Our passion for Christ should exceed our love for cars, sports, food, TV, grandkids, family. It should surpass, it should exceed, it should go way beyond. That's the way Jesus described it to us. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. What, how we feel about God, that passion that we have for Jesus, should exceed all these other areas. I'm not saying that these other areas can't be fun and can't be good, but, it, but my comparison to those things and to what I do for Christ is going to be, they're going to not even be in the same room together. Because I love him that much. But he says, if I love him that much, then I've got to love those around me in this sacrificial way. I love what Francis Chan said at the beginning. He says, we love the idea that Jesus washed feet. We love that Jesus died on the cross. He did all these things. But will we do those things for, for others around us? Or do we stand in this posture of defense, always fighting to get what we want, our way, what I need? See, he's saying, listen, if you truly want to have that selfless love like I'm talking about, like Jesus had, it is going to be put aside all my rights. You have the right to, I have the right to do this. I know, but I'm going to set it here because you know why? My rights, I'm setting them aside for the sake of Christ. What he wants me to do becomes more important than what everything else has to do with. Loving God, loving ourselves, and loving, loving others is, is, is that triangle I say it again today, if loving God was a crime, could you be convicted? Remember the story of Perpetua last week, 22 years old, who had to go into the gladiator arena because she was a Christian. Someone came up to me after the service and said, man, I want my faith. Can my faith be that strong? All of us will ask that, but it is that it's this, it's this place that we put ourselves in position where we go, God, continue, show me. Show me. And in and, and each situation we come into, and in each service we come into, we put ourselves in a position where we either reject what God wants to do or we accept it and we say, okay, God, change me. Mold me and shape me. I was talking to Pastor Mark at the, the Nazarene Church this weekend. We were just talking about a Tuesday night where we talked about the consuming fire of God. Remember, I preached on that a couple weeks ago. You know, if we truly understood what it looked like for the consuming fire of God that we call upon and we say that we want and we desire, 
It would, it would burns everything up. It means that there, there's pain involved in that. There's going to be dross that's going to be boiled to the top that God wants to remove. And by going into that place where we want the fire of God, when we even call upon that, we're saying, God, do this to me. I don't know if that we're comfortable for that. I don't know that we're truly comfortable to get into that place with God. We must be able to love ourselves before we can truly love God or others. Many of us think that God has played some kind of a joke on us when he designed us. Or we hate who we are. Or we'll never be able to comprehend in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17. It says, so that the the love of God would dwell in us. He used to describe these words. He said the breadth, the width, the length, the height, the depth. And as I was looking at this scripture, I wanted to look at it a little more closely because it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts on Valentine's Day through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be able to be filled up to the fullness of God. I can only experience the true fullness of God when I've experienced his love. But to experience his love, I also have to demonstrate his love. So I will truly never have the fullness of God within me unless I do, I'm complete in all these areas. Yes, his love, his, it goes beyond what we can even fathom. It is deep, it is, it is long, it is wide. He's saying these, he says, if we could comprehend that, If we are constantly overwhelmed by the emotional traffic of our lives, we will never be able to experience Christ's love for us. I'm not talking about psychology. What I'm talking about is all of our rejections, our insecurities, our fear, our comparisons, our bitterness, our defensiveness. All these things will wrestle with us and push us away from God. But I want you to know this morning that God delights in you. See, you have worth to him. You were were worth so much to him that he sacrificed his son. He made an investment. He put down the payment. He put the money down for you, for your purchase. Now will you be his? He does not grit his teeth when he thinks about you. God doesn't go, oh, there's Greg again. That guy, he's always bugging me with stuff. No, see, he delights in us. He looks forward. If you read through the Song of Solomon, how much he desires, he looks, he's like, here he comes. Think about this, grandparents. I took Caleb to the, to the, to the uh, farm show. He's four years old, and I let him sit on the tractors. I, I probably took him to... 40 tractors, and we had to get on every tractor. And I let him sit in the seat, and I let him steer the steering wheel, and I said, and I'd look up, and I'd say, how is that? Oh, it's fine, Papa. See, that's the way God looks at us. He loves to see us grow. Have you ever just even sit and watch your grandkids maybe just eat? So the simplest of things in life, you're like, oh, how cute is that? See, God looks at us like that. Remember when you were first in love with your mate, your husband, your wife? Remember how you, you looked at them with that fondness and you just were like, oh, man, I can't wait to be with them again. Sit on the phone and talk for hours. Now they call you like, okay, are you done? 
Get to the point. I got things to do. I know you guys don't do that. I have this problem. John 15, 9 says, as the father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus compares the father's love to the love that he has for us. He says in Isaiah 62, 4 and 5, the Lord says he's going to make a name for his people. And he says that the Lord will delight in you. He verse, verse, verse five, he says, as a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices, rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. He desires that relationship. He desires that intimacy. Someone told me this week, uh, they were telling me a story about, about how, uh, as far as our time frame goes, and they said, if you had, you know, if I gave you 1440 dollars a day and all i asked for you to do was spend 20 of that on me you'd say i'll do that i hope i got my timing right did i get it right okay and i want you to think about it 1440 minutes in a day would you give him back 20 would you give him back 20 minutes a day to spend with your Lord? Would you, would you, would you show and demonstrate your love back to him? 14 and four, 1440 he gives you every day to do kind of what, whatever you want. We say, well, I'll do, I got half of that time I got to sleep. And I'm eating. And I got a lot of things going on. He says, listen, just give me 20 minutes back. Give me $20 back. Mm, wouldn't, that kind of hits home, doesn't it? From the beginning, he chose us. Ephesians 1, 4 says, before the creation of the world, before the foundations in the King James Version, before the foundations of the world, he chose us. See, friendship and fellowship with God started in the garden, but we broke that. He didn't give up. He says, okay, I'm gonna go make a way for them. I'm gonna, remember, at the very, remember in the garden, the first thing he did was he made clothes for them because they, all of a sudden they recognized that they were naked. He, he's, he, did, he did this for them. He, the same thing goes for us today. He says, listen, you've broken fellowship with me. You sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But listen, I'm going to make a way for you. I am going to be persistent. I am going to do whatever it takes to bring you back into fellowship with me so that we can spend time together. He never gave up. He's jealous over us. See, as a new creation, we are spiritually recreated. Our body is still the same, but he has breathed his spiritual life into us by his Holy Spirit. Even in the creation process, God stopped when it came to man. All the animals and everything else, he spoke into existence. Remember, I used that word, ex nihilo, out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. But when it came to man, he took his hands, and, and I'm figuratively speaking, he, he formed man out of clay, and then he breathed the breath of life into them. Because you know why? He wanted fellowship. He desired fellowship with us. Think about that. But David said, who am I that you are mindful of me, God? in your vastness and who you are, but you want to take the time just like he did when he, he created us. 
So many times we spend so much time thinking about what we're not. I'm not physical. I I don't have the looks. I don't have the attributes. I don't have the beauty, the wealth, the giftings. We measure ourselves by this physical circumstances. I don't measure up. I compare myself with others. I don't feel like I can achieve. You begin to hate yourself, wishing you were somebody else. But 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. I like what the New American Standard says. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. See, we don't evaluate ourselves. We don't define ourselves by the flesh, our natural abilities, our physical abilities. Success is not determined by what we are in the flesh. The Lord is not going to evaluate you based upon Glenn's spirituality. The Lord is not going to base your relationship with him on Greg's spirituality. He says, listen, I want you to get in your lane and I want you to run your race. Don't worry about who's next to you. It's not a race in the sense I have to be in front. He just says, get in your lane and stay the course what I have destined for you. I have set the path for you. Don't worry about and compare yourself to the things around you. Well, I'm not going to ever achieve those things. You're not supposed to. All you're supposed to do is get in your lane and run your race. See, when you get in that position, all of a sudden, all this heaviness of trying to live this out, all of a sudden it goes away because all I have to do is do what God's saying I have to do. He's destined my course for me. I said this a couple weeks ago. Are you more concerned with these 70 years or 70 billion years? We have 70 billion years and that's just heaven beginning. You may not measure up. I know this in my glorified body. I will ride a horse at full speed and not break my collarbone. I know this, that in my glorified body, I will do things that I cannot do on this earth. Some of us, as we've getting older, our bodies are creaking and they don't do work as well as they used to. But he says, listen, if you just stay the course with me, 70 billion years, you're going to be doing things. The things that you love on this earth, the things that we love here, heaven is going to be 20, 40, 100 times better. See, there's two parts to our lives. There's the here and now, which most of us spend all of our time thinking about that. Or there is the forever, part two. Part, we need to begin to work for and live for part two instead of part one. There's going to be a a brief intermission. But then the rest, of, the rest of eternity is part two. This first part is short. It's going to look very minute. I use those lines because I want you to think these lines going on forever and ever and ever all over. You know, and they just continue. They never stop. And our life is going to look like a little bitty dot in that line. It's, this life is going to be so short. It's, such a, it's going to be such a vapor. Isaiah said this about Jesus. See, in Isaiah 60, 53, 2, it says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people would hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. See, Jesus' 
life was one of meekness, lowliness, humble. It was even in the eyes of this world, foolish and weak. But I want you to know today, Jesus was not going to be the captain of the football team. He would have not been voted by your school the most likely to succeed. This man, when he walked into a room, you didn't go, oh, there's Jesus. Everybody step aside. You didn't do that because there was nothing in his physical appearance that set him apart. But there was something within his spirit that you knew just like you did when he talked about in the book of Acts. He says about these men, he goes, I don't know about these guys, James and Peter, but I do know this. They have spent time with God. They took note of them, the Bible says, because they had been with Jesus. See, that's what our lives need to look like when we have been with Christ, when our lives have been changed and transformed by his image, then all of a sudden, all these other things, don't worry about that worldly appearance. You worry about that spiritual appearance. Don't buy the world's value system. Jesus walked it out and his reward was given to him after his death. Don't measure yourself by others. It hurts you in two ways. You don't feel like you can measure up. And then also the other side happens. You all of a sudden you begin to think you're okay because you're head and shoulders above those around you. The measurement mark is not those around you. It is Jesus Christ. You'll all of a sudden begin, well, look, I'm not doing so bad. My mark is Jesus. I've got to keep achieving. 2 Corinthians 10, 2, 10, 12 says, They measured themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. See, the king of the universe is looking right at you. He sees you. He sees you as a kingdom of kings and priests, the Bible says. See, I am not emotionally tied to the physical. What happens here, yes, it disturbs me. But if I let it grab, it, grab a hold of me, the enemy is aware and he exploits it. Whether it's my job, my relationship, my spouse, my kids, my family, all the circumstances. I must be tuned to part two of my life. I must be tuned to the spiritual because I know that there's an anchor in that. See, God is wanting to give birth to you in, 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 in something in your spirit. And what happens is in our lives, we, by quitting, by stopping, by losing heart, all of a sudden we abort what God wants to do. How many times have I done that in my life? God's like, I'm getting ready to do something in you right now, Greg. And I want to quit. I want to run. I want to just stop. I'm tired. He says, listen, I'm about to do something. See, think about it, ladies. Giving birth, there is pain involved. There is pushing involved. Every single thing we do in life, it's a spirit, that physical picture of a spiritual tooth. If you want to give birth to something in the spirit that God's doing in your life, then you're going to have to push and you're going to have to strain sometimes. It's not going to be easy. A healthy relationship doesn't just come naturally. You will have to work at it. Having a good job is, David knows this, he drills wells. You, for, for, for them to do it, they have to go out and do a good job because you know what? That person will tell the next person. We, everything in this life that we do is going to be hard work. I want you to know that the, the curse of the, that God had to put on the, the earth because of our sin, we will continue to abide in that. But that's why I'm so looking forward to intermission. I want intermission because I'm looking for part two. I'm not worried. Listen, I have all these things he wants me to do in part one. Then the intermission comes and then he says, now get ready for part two. Act two is something like you've never seen before. 
He wants us to give birth to something. He wants us to to press on. He wants us to keep pushing. Ephesians 2.10 says this. He says, we are his workmanship created to do good works. You are important to him. You are special to him. You are valuable to him. I'm talking to somebody here this morning. He delights in you. He loves to watch you grow. He enjoys being with you. Most of, of what God does, most of what we do in this life, the simplest of things, even a glass of water, weed eating, the things that seem insignificant, God watches those things. See, when no one else is looking, God is looking. He takes note of it. It has been marked in heaven. If it is done for the kingdom, He has marked it in heaven. It's already set. The things of this life are going to pass away. But he says, the things that you do for my kingdom, when the fire comes, when the fire comes and and moves everything past and burns everything, all the chaff up, the one thing that's going to remain is the things that we have done for Christ. He takes note of them. So that should encourage us. When no one's watching, he's watching. He knows. Liberate yourself this morning from self-hatred. Become thankful for who you are. Be thankful for who God has made you. I said it just last week. I said 80% of this world lives on $10 a day. You are rich on, for the kingdom of God already. The, the, the most dire person in this country is still wealthy and considered of the, 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 the vast world. We, are, we have been given so much. See, his love is magnified and displayed in us. He watches and loves to watch us. It moves him. His eye is upon us. The very smallest of things, God takes account of those things. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He said it right before this, in the verse before this, in 26, he says, Not many of you were considered wise by this world's standards. Not many of you were wise or even mighty. But he says, listen, God chose the foolish things of this world. For for the unbeliever, this is the best life you're ever going to have. For the Christian, this is the worst that's ever going to be for you. If we don't connect to God's value system, how he feels about us, how he views the things of this world, if we're not able to connect to him in that kind of love, we will miss out on what God's got for us. So let me get this straight, Greg. Let me sum this up. Weak things are strong. Foolish things are wise. Love others more than myself. Love your life, not your flesh. You are, you will lose it. Love and obey an invisible God who does not show me how he really feels until I enter the age to come. Seems logical. See, but he doesn't operate on a man's logical thinking. He operates in a different realm. He says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Tonight, this morning as we close, I don't want us to go through spiritual calisthenics. Remember in School, everybody stand, do jumping jacks, wave your arms, do these things. Worship should not be spiritual calisthenics. Worship should be me and him alone. Focused on what he wants from me. What does he desire from me? In the Old Testament, the worshiper never came to the temple without something in their hand. What do you have to give him this morning? If your hands are empty, then you say, look, here's my life, Lord. I pour it out for you. I sacrifice it for you. That's what he's calling us this morning. So as we go in this time of worship, we're going to spend the next five or ten minutes just worshiping. I want you to forget about the food. 
I want you to forget about everything. I want you just, just for a moment. It's Valentine's Day. Jesus is your Valentine. He is the most important thing. And I'll guarantee you, when this relationship gets right, everything else seems to fall in line. Let's all stand.
continue to focus on him. If you need to go to the altar, just continue to focus on the Lord just for a moment. We're going to sing one more song, how much we need him.
is sufficient. He's enough. Fully content, fully satisfied in Him. Lord, that's the cry of our heart this morning. Oh, Lord, we just praise you today. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, let us know the day, the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of your love. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Let me just pray over the the time together. We're going to have a time of fellowship right now. And Lord, we just thank you for this time that you've brought us together. We thank you for the fellowship that we can uh, abide in you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this time of fellowship together. Let us love on one another. And Lord, let us love on you. And bless this food in your name. Amen.